0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte.
1: This is the Tribune Audio Network.
2: We, we, we got a lot of people in this area, you know, that believe in peace and love, that believe in the things that they thought we didn't believe in, and that we could have a peaceful event like this to promote the values that were inherent in the so-called hippie generation.
0: This is Steve Maloney with your latest WGNO, New Orleans Music with the Twist podcast. That was the legendary Deacon John, the man who probably played your prom. 50 years ago, however, he was playing a totally different festival, the one and only New Orleans Pop Festival. It was actually held in Prairieville at the Louisiana International Speedway. It happened about two weeks after Woodstock, and a lot of the same performers that played Woodstock came down and actually performed at the New Orleans Pop Festival as well. Santana, Janis Joplin, Canned Heat, The Grateful Dead, Country Joe and the Fish, they all took the stage. But there were also a lot of local acts, including Dr. John, and deacon john who performed on the first day of the festival i had the chance to sit down with deacon john and talk to him about performing at that festival which was unlike anything he had ever done before and unlike anything he's ever done since here's what he had to say
2: how did I get to play at the New Orleans Pop Festival 50 years ago? Oh, you make me feel so young. Uh, well, at the time I had jumped on the bandwagon of the rock and roll revolution and I had a really hot group in town called Deacon John and the Electric Soul Train. And uh, man, we were drawing big crowds that we playing. One of my big fans was the guy who put on, the one of the guys who Steve Kaplow. He was one of my big fans. He used to come see me when I'd play in the French Quarter at The Roach and all those little clubs that sprang up during the hippie area. I was at the Love Inn in Audubon Park, too. That's what started it all. But uh, I got the call from him because the first day of the festival, he's going to feature the local bands, the the, the real hot uh, local bands who were in the rock and roll genre. So... He picked me, you know.
0: Now, you seem pretty straight-laced today.
2: 50 years ago, <laughs> were you a hippie? Yes, I was. <laughs> An- uh undercover hippie. <laughs> I was a negro hippie and they called us nippies for oh. obvious reasons. <laughs> well I was one of the first guys out here. I had my uh fringy vests and I had barefoot, you know, with sandals and I had my tie-dye shirts and my bandanas tied around my head. Of course I had a lot of hair then, too. Right, So uh, I was following in the footsteps, you know, of keeping myself uh, with gigs because uh, <laughs> the Deacon Jones and the Iris things is kind of like faded and up comes, you know, Beatlemania, I jumped on that bandwagon too. And to stay popular, got to constantly reinvent yourself. I found that out a long time ago. So when uh, the rock era came in, man, I saw Jimi Hendrix, I said, that's what I want to do because he's playing electric blues. Right. And I never could turn up my amplifier that loud. I said, Now's my chance to be the Hendrix of New Orleans. And that's what I became. I started playing rock music. And uh, it was a little difficult at first because I started out in the black clubs. And I said, I know they can relate to this because, you know, it's electric blues and the right. blues is a black thing. So I started in the black club and I had my psychedelic lights and uh, we started playing Hendrix and Sly and all because at that time most black people hadn't discovered FM radio and so I was right on the cutting edge. So I jumped right on it, you know, and I got me a B3 organ and got the big amps and, uh, the whole oh. thing. I, and I knew I had to dress like the music too right. and look yeah. like the music. So hey, I was right on time and I started getting a huge following, you know, because once you do something new, everybody want to come check you out. The New Orleans Pop Festival came uh, a little after Woodstock. And I think overall the best thing about the uh, New Orleans Pop Festival, it showed the world that New Orleans... uh could have a big concert like that with no violence, no fighting, and you know we are in the deep south, and people stereotype us with all of this stuff about you know racism and poverty. But this whole festival was about peace and love, about everybody get together and love one another, right. and that was just the kind of thing I was promoting with my music, the music of that genre. You know, was all about people coming together and uh uh, promoting peace and love and anti-war demonstrations. Cause I saw that exhibited in the, uh, love in that was held at Audubon Park where, you know, to raise public awareness about, you know, we got all the, the love generation to come there with their beads and their tie-dye shirts and the bell bottom pants and all. We got together, you know, just for everybody to get together and love one another, share your love. So, uh, man, I love that stuff, you know, because, you know, that was was, uh, the political uh, elements of the day were, you know, to, uh, it was like civil rights and integration. All of those things were present on the political genre. And this was the music that promoted that. And all of the businesses that catered to that came into being, too, like the uh, Teddy and Barbara's far out place that sold the clothing and paraphernalia that went along with the peace and love generation. And there were other shops and the clothing and everything that came about, you know, during that era. And I was right on time, you know, so uh, that's why I got to play the festival it-
0: now, by the time you took the stage, uh, I think Woodstock was a couple weeks earlier. Did you even know what had happened out there? Oh yeah,
2: I was, I was very much aware of Woodstock, you know, and, uh, I, I didn't get an opportunity to go to Woodstock because I had two small children. <laughs> <laughs> so I had to stay home and watch the kids, but I saw it on TV and I saw this huge explosion of all of the uh peace and love generation and how all these people could get together and have a good time without any violence uh Anything like that. It was, uh, it was just a phenomenal event, you know, and it just fostered a new wave of new generation of people that grew out of that, that were anti-war and the Vietnam War and all it was about brotherhood and getting together and, uh, everybody unifying, you know, to fight the common enemy. And, uh, New Orleans, you know, we, uh, What the most unlikely place, you know, for something like this to happen because of all of the racism and all of the stuff that went on in the deep south. And I think that was a real valuable contribution we made to the, to the world, you know, that something like Woodstock could happen in this area in New Orleans, uh, not exactly New Orleans, but in Prairieville, Louisiana <laughs> was close to Baton Rouge. <laughs> Which seems
0: even more unlikely to
2: me. More that something, unlikely yeah, you know, that that, love something like that to happen. And they pulled it off, and yeah. there was no, hardly any arrest, uh, uh, any, uh, violence and everybody just got together we had a good time listening to the music and he had all the proponents of the musical genre he had the uh, uh janice joplin <laughs> He had the bear with the can heat. He had, oh, just a beautiful day. And one of my partners, Billy Gregory, the guitar player, he played with a beautiful day out there. And there was Santana. Oh, my God, because I'd seen all these people at Woodstock on TV. But anyway, I was just thrilled to be a part of this generation, you know, that promoted peace and love. So, you, did you get to see the other performers? Did you hang out? Unfortunately, my band was so popular, I couldn't go to the, the rest of the fest because I had other gigs paying more money.
0: <laughs> That's sort, sort of a problem, but not I really. I can't be
2: it. ubiquitous. Right. So, uh, There's I only one the gig. And, uh, I, I couldn't attend the rest of the fall, though I really wanted to, yeah. but, you know, I had a gig paying more money. <laughs>
0: Well, the stage setup was pretty unique from what I've read that, uh, uh-huh. you know, it was really two stages next to each other. So one, a band would start playing right. while the other one's setting, well, up, the and other one one setting up. The other one's
2: setting up, the other one's playing, yeah. Have you ever uh-huh. seen
0: anything like that before?
2: Well, uh, on a level like that, this was the first time for New Orleans, you know, and it had to uh, do like that. And it was kind of pattern after Woodstock, you know, where the production, you know, had to... Well, that many groups to come on and off there. Well, you had to have an ancillary stage to, where the production was set up for one band while the other was playing, but uh, that's the way it was, you know. Yeah. So, on your
0: day, uh, I think it's a beautiful day, played a couple other bands. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you remember about hanging out with the other musicians when you played?
2: Well, what, what I experienced was a camaraderie of the musicians because we were all in this together. <laughs> And I knew a lot of people in the local bands. I didn't know many of the big-name stars, but uh, the day that I played on, there were no big-name stars. <laughs> it was mostly local bands who had a... uh a following, you know, and uh, that following put all us all together would enable the promoters to have an, a sizable crowd on the opening night of the yeah. uh, festival.
0: And they say it was about thirty thousand people. Was that the biggest crowd you'd ever played to at that point?
2: Uh, yes, it was. I mean, I played for big crowds, you know at municipal auditorium, city park, and you know, but a crowd that size was, you know was a little bit unaccustomed to me you know so while deacon john
0: and his band were up on stage out in the crowd future radiator dave malone was with two of his older brothers uh dave malone was 16 on the first day of the festival and he turned 17 on the second day august 29th 1969 and he had convinced his parents to let that let him tag along with his older brothers and some of their friends To get to the festival from Edgard, where the Malone family lived, Dave also convinced his dad to loan the group a 1960s Volkswagen Beetle that his dad had lovingly restored from the ground up. And of course, on the way home, it burnt to a crisp and exploded on the side of the road. Aside from that, Dave Malone has really good memories of what he can actually remember from the New Orleans Pop Festival. And here's Dave talking about his, what he remembers, although some of it is admittedly fuzzy.
1: But I, you know, I was just a, a country kid who was playing, me just starting to follow the path, you know, with me being a lifetime musician. So it was a big deal for me, um. And just being, you know, allowed to go, my parents were worried, I'm sure. And I remember, and all my, ve- my recollections are really kind of vague, Stephen. But uh, <laughs> I, I talked to my dad. I don't, I don't remember if it was me or my brother John. Anyway, my brother John and my brother Billy, my Billy, my older brothers, went with a bunch of their friends, and they basically allowed me to tag along. Make no mistake that that festival was a very big deal for me. I, uh, you know, I had not seen a whole lot of national acts live and it was an eye opener at how really good and professional they were, even in this kind of festival, primitive kind of environment. But, uh, you know, I, I, I saw Jimi Hendrix at, at city park stadium that might have been that year too mm. so but i had not seen a whole lot of you know big national acts i was just a kid still living in a country town and it was a big deal just getting to new orleans then but uh but so you know i i was a fan of lots of the bands but it was a real eye-opener at the ones that i wasn't really that familiar with about how good they were
0: Now, had you you seen uh, Deacon John before? He was playing with his uh, Electric Soul Train band.
1: Yeah, I had. The band before the Soul Train, I think Deacon John had, was called the Ivories. Mm -hmm. And I saw one of those bands, I don't remember which one, being very impressed. He had a, he was a, he was a real taskmaster band leader, it looked like. And his band was just, they were great, you know. And, And, uh. He, he did it really professional, and, and I was very impressed with it. Plus, he's just such a great singer. I mean, the, the bands that stick out in my head, I remember vividly. But the, I didn't stay for the dead, Grateful Dead. I remember not being that impressed with the Jefferson Airplane. Wow. I don't remember at all seeing Tyrannosaurus Rex, and not knowing much about them anyway, I know you know. Right. They had a hit later with Bang a Gong. And, yeah. Uh, Mark Bolan was a singer, and they were kind of, you know, androgynous.
0: Right, the glam rock type thing.
1: Glam rock, yeah. Mm-hmm. I and and I don't remember seeing them at all. I don't remember seeing uh, Doctor John either.
0: Oh, that's interesting. Uh,
1: Yeah, I don't, I just, you know, there were, there was the music, of course, and things that caught my ear right away, but some of that time was spent trying to go find something to eat, you know, so it wasn't just constant vigilance, paying attention to what was on the stage,
0: but. uh, I know you're saying you were a a sort of a country boy at the time, but, uh, you know, you showed up in a, in a sixties Volkswagen Beetle. You uh, you know had a bunch of people packed into that. You're going to an outdoor festival. I'm going to go ahead and say you you were probably on the hippie side but even back then at 17.
1: Well, I, my brothers were probably hipper than I was, but I I think I was hip. I just I I think I became hip the day I saw the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan Show. <laughs> That's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But <laughs> you know, I was aware of stuff. You know, I knew the Young Bloods had a hit with. Uh, Get together, come on, people! Now smile on your brother. Yeah, I knew about canned heat. Um, I, I I was trying to remember if I knew about some of these bands from Woodstock, but the movie wasn't out.
0: Right. Yeah. Now, the new movie wouldn't come out for a while, and actually, Woodstock was considered a failure at the time. You know, because everybody just climbed right over the fences and they, they lost right. all their money. Right. But uh, do you remember We're Janis doing- Joplin at all? Yeah,
1: I mean, Peace of My Heart was was played on the radio. I probably even had the 45. Yeah. I, I admired her abilities, but and I loved a lot of her stuff, but I was not a huge Janis Joplin fan, frankly. Hmm. Um, I mean, I liked her just fine. I didn't dislike her in any way. And I remember think, thinking she was okay. <clears throat> I remember the airplane, they were okay. Yeah. The one thing that I remember as – and I don't even want to bring negativity to the picture, but this guy Oliver had a hit with uh, a song from the musical Hair, uh, Good Morning Starshine. Mm -hmm. It was very, very white bread, la-di-da. (laughs) <laughs> he sang very well, but I was like, I remember thinking, what is he doing here? <laughs> just didn't seem to fit, you know? Right. And Country Joe and the Fish, I thought they were interesting, but I didn't think they were particularly good. The guitars were out of tune to me. But so what? You know, I was yeah. still, the experience of it was still cool. But what I was most impressed by were bands that I didn't know a lot about. I, the young bloods blew me away. It's a beautiful day. Who I had never even heard of before, blew me away because I don't think I'd ever heard electric violin before, and right. it was just so cool. Yeah, songs were cool. The singing was cool. The playing was cool. The birds. I was a huge birds fan, but by then I think it was the incarnation of the birds with Clarence White on guitar. Mm. I was a huge Clarence White fan, so I liked them a lot. And their songs and their playing were just Tom notch. Canned Heat, I loved. Yeah. Iron Butterfly, who only knew from Inagata DeVita, uh, I was like, God, these guys are really good. And then Chicago Transit Authority, which became Chicago, I was blown away by. I had never heard. You know, I'd heard horns and soul music, you know, like Motown and Stack stuff and and Muscle Shoal stuff. But it was just so original sounding to me. And the guitar player, Terry Kath, was just unbelievable. And Santana, you know, same thing. Uh, So I was most impressed by the Young Bloods. It's a Beautiful Day, Chicago Transit Authority, Santana the birds, iron butterfly, and canned heat. But, you know, just the whole experience was really cool. I mean, it was just I had never seen anything like that, you know, girls semi-dressed and everybody just having fun. I don't remember if there were any troublesome sort of incidents. So I remember somebody saying that there were narcos undercover narcotics agents in the crowd. And I don't remember seeing any really nasty confrontations with anyone, but I, I, there's a lot that I don't remember. I don't know if my recollections are helping you at all.
0: Oh, no, absolutely. And But that was another question I was going to ask. You know, you, you can't talk about Woodstock without talking about that you know, ideal image of a stoned hippie, you know, blissed out in the crowd. Was it Was it that feel with the New Orleans uh, Pop Festival where people just, you know, out of their minds, just, just blissed out and what?
1: starry-eyed? Yeah. yeah, but I don't remember anyone being assholes, <laughs> I, 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 unless it was me. Um, well, that's always a I possibility. Remember, you know, I know we were smoking pot, which I didn't. Have a lot of experience with. There were probably mushrooms around, but it was more of a. a guys from Edgard, you know, it was more drinking wine <laughs> and just feeling good. Um, but that aspect of it, aside from just getting your head a little adjusted, and that was probably more due to wine than anything else. Uh, I don't remember. If I had to sum it up, it it would be more about the music and the camaraderie with the people than than anything to do with drug use. For me, that was that was my observation.
0: Now, looking back today, 50 years ago, do you kind of see a direct line between the professionalism, the way those bands were playing and then the way that you have held yourself as a musician, presented yourself as a musician throughout the the rest of your career?
1: Yes is the answer to that. But probably the most impactful thing in that regard to me was that it seemed like a lot of the bands, if not all of them, didn't try to just recreate the 45 RPM hit. They played the songs, that you knew they were songs, but they stretched out on them. And that kind of gave, I was already leaning that way anyway. I like to take songs and I've always been of the mind of why should I try to play it like the record? If you want to listen to the record, listen to the record. I'm going to do my own thing to them. That might have been fueled by a bit of laziness, but I'm going to go with creativity. (laughs) Same Um, thing, same thing. Same thing. So it was interesting that they weren't, you know, I always thought from seeing things on TV, if people were lip syncing or whatever, I'm not sure, but it was always exactly like the exact version that you heard on the radio. And this wasn't like that. It was, uh, was taking those great songs, obviously sounding like the people that had the hits with them and keeping the basic characteristics and structure of the song, but not worrying about it being a mirror image of the record. I, that stayed with me big time.
0: And that is really interesting because, I mean, obviously that's what the Radiators have always done. And you get into that sort of like their jam bands didn't exist back then. These these were the jam bands. These were, they were the musicians that created that whole scene. You know, talking about Grateful yeah. Dead and everybody else, so I, yeah. I think that's 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 very interesting that you kind of like took that with you out of this uh, out of this
1: uh, experience. Yeah, oh, definitely. But you can play the song because it's a good song and do your own thing to it. Right. And I've been that's worked out for me very well.
0: Obviously, yeah. All jokes aside, it's sort of shocking that the New Orleans Pop Festival has just fallen off the radar for the past 50 years, but that's what anniversaries are for. We can all start talking about it again and sort of learning from it, and obviously some of the people that have influenced us as music fans and musicians today were greatly influenced by that uh, singular event 50 years ago.
2: What I remember most about the festival that there were no incidents of violence and that People were actually getting together and love one another and sharing things and uh, and that's the most valuable contribution that this festival made to the world and to the United States that we could have something like this in New Orleans, the hotbed of racism and segregation and all the rest of the stuff. Something like this could happen in New Orleans? Yeah, it can because everybody's not you. what you think they are you know we we got a lot of people in this area you know that believe in peace and love that believe in the things that they thought we didn't believe in and that we could have a peaceful event like this to promote the values that were inherent in the so-called hippie generation
0: and more more than anything else a little bit of that rock music
2: Oh yeah! More than anything else, you know, it gave me a chance, you know, to stretch out, you know, and express myself as a guitar player and play, uh, you know, a lot of jamming and solos and how to express, you know, different ideas musically on my guitar without sounding just like the record. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's it. That's that's everything that's I could it. possibly hope for. Thank you very much. Yeah.
1: This has been a production of the Tribune Audio Network.